Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Life Coach and Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 27, How to Deal with Triggers. First of all, I feel inclined to do a second part on our music episode last week. I enjoyed that so much. And I realized after I published the episode that there were some other things I kind of wanted to talk about. And I also wanted to maybe clarify a little bit. I can look back and I can think of the many times that music was a part of my day and a part of my days. Days when I was sad and wanted a sad experience to cleanse my soul. Days when we were celebrating with music and days when we were inspired by music. Music just has this ability to move our emotions. And as I've mentioned before, emotions are energy in motion. And so when we use music... When something horrible has happened to us, we have all these raging negative emotion and there's got to be a way for these emotions to be released. And music is a great catalyst for releasing the negative emotion. But the cool thing is it's also a great carrier. It's a great carrier of good. It can empty our being of the heavy and the difficult, those horrific emotions that we feel in grief. And then it can fill us with inspired and with the beautiful. And this doesn't happen overnight, obviously. It's not like we have this horrible thing happens and and then the next day we can listen to a little bit of sad music and a little bit inspired music and all of a sudden we feel better. It's just not the case as we know. But, you know, as, as we've talked about, grief is a tunnel, not a cave. And as we go through the tunnel, we still come across obstacles. So it's not like this straight tunnel from here to there. It's this tunnel through additional obstacles. So we have, we go forward and then we kind of feel like we go back. It's, it's not a perfect way to explain it, but hopefully you know what I'm saying. I saw some miracles happen around music at my, at Carrie and David's funeral. And there were a few that I, I just wanted to mention and share with you. One was that our daughters, Stephanie and Kristen, sang at the funeral. They sang Tis Eventide. And I just want to read a few lines from that music. The arrangement that they sang was beautiful. And of course, their emotions were right on the edge. And so it was very difficult for them to get through it. But it was it was inspiring to have them sing those beautiful words. And I will try to get through this without crying. But here are some of the words from that particular hymn. Abide with me, tis eventide. Thy walk today with me has made my heart within me burn as I communed with thee. Thy earnest words have filled my soul and kept me near thy side. Abide with me, tis eventide, and lone will be the night, if I cannot commune with thee, nor find in thee my light. The darkness of the world, I fear, would in my home abide. O Savior, stay this night with me, 
Behold, tis even tide. Another song that was a miracle to me was my little nephew, who was not even two weeks younger than Carrie, had been practicing a song on the piano. And it just happened to be Josh Groban's song, You Lift Me Up. And the week before Carrie died, we had been at her sister's pop concert in high school. So Kristen was a senior in high school and every year the high school would do a pop concert and Kristen was singing in that pop concert. And I'm going to have to ask her what song that was because I don't even remember what song it was, but it was such a cool song and she dedicated it to me. And it was all about mothers, which is so interesting, isn't it? Knowing what happened just a couple weeks later that I was driving on Mother's Day and the kids died. But that song, You Lift Me Up, was the one that Carrie's cousin had been practicing. And like I said, he was her age. And he played this solo, You Lift Me Up, for the funeral. And the fascinating thing was, is that at that pop concert where my daughter sang, Carrie was there and she was sitting next to our friend's daughter. And when someone started singing Josh Groban's song, You Lift Me Up, Carrie leaned to over to her friend and told her, this is my favorite song. So I, it was just such a miracle that she had said that to her friend, that her friend's mother shared that with us, and that that just happened to be the song that her cousin had been practicing and the song that he played at the funeral. And some of the words to that song, beautiful again. These are, these are, ins- this is inspiring music. When I am down and oh, my soul so weary, when troubles come and my heart burdened be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. I really think this music was meant not only to inspire us on that day that was so hard, but to inspire us for a lifetime. Another miracle that happened was Kristen's friend and uh, my friend's son, who has the most gorgeous voice you've ever heard, had been practicing the song, O Lord, My Redeemer. And he uh, was like my daughter two weeks from high school graduation. And many of her friends were able to get out of school that day to be at the funeral. And Taylor was one of them. And his mom came to me and she said, Taylor's been practicing this song. And if you would like, I know that he would be happy to sing this for the funeral and truly it was a it was a wonderful experience to have him sing oh lord my redeemer and in this particular hymn in this song it goes through the crucifixion and the resurrection of jesus christ and here are some of the words at the end of the piece and i knelt in earnest prayer his memory still there and the more that i'd inquire the hotter burned the fire i found joy beyond compare And the day turned into three, 
morning found me in a garden where the gentle April breeze returned me to my knees, pleading for a pardon. And I can't say when or why. I opened my eyes, but his feet were there before me, his hands were open o'er me, and his face I recognized. O Lord, my Redeemer, thou hast done so much for me. O Lord, my Redeemer, all my love I give to thee. Again, I just think this music was not only given to us at a time of deep, deep sorrow and distress, but it was given to us as inspiration as we moved forward in life, and I still reflect on it. A few years later, in a miraculous way, a friend gave me a recording of Taylor singing that song. I was just, I don't even, I don't even know how, like, this was even several states away, and we just happened to realize we knew the same people, and their son had accompanied him to sing this song in another state. Like It was just one miracle after another that this music came into my possession again. So I wanted to share with you some of the miracles that have happened in my life with music and continue to happen as I as I'm inspired by music. And I will... I will link some of the YouTube videos of these songs in the show notes for you as well, if you are looking for some inspiration this week. I read a lot of inspiring things from just in the past couple of days from people who have lived through some devastating loss. And I wanted to share some of the, some of the words that I read to you. They inspired me and, and hopefully they'll inspire you as well. The first was is from Mike Lemieux, and I'm probably not saying his last name correctly, but it's M-I-K-E-L-E-M-I-E-U-X. That's his Instagram account. And he is and his wife, Ashley, went through a tremendous loss of their two children. They were a young couple, and they had the opportunity to foster two young children that lived, who lived in their home for many years. And they had all the expectation that these children were, were going to be in their home permanently and they expected to be able to adopt them. And suddenly everything, everything turned for the worse and the children were taken out of their home and returned to their parents and in a, really dramatic, devastating way that I just can't even comprehend. And so they've had no contact with these kids over the last couple of years and they, they don't have any other children. And so it just, as you can only imagine, they went from having this family with two children to having no children. And I've watched as they have mourned the loss of these two beautiful children in their life. But I've been super impressed with their willingness to share their journey. And this week, he posted a picture of lighted paper lanterns, those lanterns that you see in the sky that were so prominent in the cartoon Tangled. And this is what he wrote. In order for the lantern to float away, it must be carefully opened and a source of heat placed at the bottom. Hot air rises, and once the air inside the lantern gets hot enough, the lantern floats upward. If you let go of the lantern before the air is hot enough, 
Your lantern will either fall right to the ground or worse, start floating horizontally instead of into the sky far from you, then fall down. If you hold onto the lantern too long, the heat source won't last as long and the lantern won't climb as high as it could have had it been released at the right time. We are the lanterns and the emotions we feel are the source of heat that lift us. All the emotions, not just the good ones. It's important not to force out our feelings, good or bad, too quickly. If we do, we won't get off the ground. If we hold on to them too long, we might not climb as high as we could have had we allowed those power sources to heat us up to the right temp. If we allow all our emotions, good or bad, to fuel our flight, to push us upward and shoot us towards the sky, we will reach the heights we are capable of reaching. Don't be afraid to let the fuel burn. And I just loved his words. I loved his analogy of the the fire that lifted these lanterns into the sky, of the lights. There's so much significance in light anyway. And, and I, I just, I loved what he had to say here. And I asked his permission to share that with you. And I will link that as well in the show notes. He compared all these emotions that we have in how those emotions ultimately are for our benefit. And I, I really truly believe that I have this interesting thought that when we have these really hard times that just crush our soul, it's, it's really, it's also part of our growth. Those large, heavy, overwhelming emotions feel our, our, our spirit and our soul and they expand us. And even though it's painful and it's horrible and it's not the way we would like for things to go, I really do feel like they expand us. I read a couple of other thoughts from a couple other authors, and this was on option B on Instagram. Kellen Shoecraft shared how he had lost his father and then a sister. And this is what he wrote about resilience. He said to me, resilience is not organizing a gala or raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for research. Resilience is not dedicating your life to a cause. Resilience is continuing to live one moment to the next when it feels like life has played the cruelest joke. Bad things happen to everyone. It's just sometimes they happen sooner than they should. We continue to put one foot in front of the other. This is resilience. We keep living even though they do not. There was a couple of things that really struck me about his comments and his experience with resilience. One was this idea that in order to, to rebuild our life, we don't necessarily have to pick up a cause. We don't have to organize a gala. We don't have to raise money. We don't have to do these things that sometimes we look at, we think are heroic. I know that for a few years after the, after the kids died, I felt like there was something I was supposed to do. And, and you know, I had all these kind of thoughts about around these types of things. And I think maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we think that, that this is what we have to do now because of, because of our loss. And I just don't believe that's true. 
I really, truly don't believe that's true. And now I find myself 12 years later doing what I'm doing now and working with people who are grieving and, and helping. And that doesn't mean that somebody else needs to do the same thing. And so I, I always worry that when we see a, a marathon being planned or we see an event being planned or we see a fundraiser that somehow we think that we're less than because we haven't done those things. So that kind of caught my attention. The other thing that caught my attention is when he says bad things happen to everyone. It's just sometimes they happen sooner than they should. And I think that's kind of how we feel about child loss. Like it feels unnatural for our child to die before we do. And, and so that caught my attention too. And I, I have to take a little bit of, of exception with what he said about then they should. I am not ever going to say that things should be different than they are. I don't know that there's a should in that sentence, but I do know that it's hard when things happen unexpectedly or not the way we expected, what, what we, what, what we didn't anticipate. The other one that I wanted to share with you was from Jennifer Hahn. She had a totally different experience. She was actually going through infertility treatments and really wanting a child. She and her husband were really wanting a child. And during these treatments, she found out she had cancer. And because of her cancer and because of the treatments, they were no longer even able to continue to try to conceive. And so she had to let go of the expectation of having children. And this is what she wrote. I continue to survive, staying on a new path, wondering where this unexpected train is going to take me, but no longer convinced that I need more than I already have to find happiness. I have learned to be grateful and find happiness every day. It is not something given to you or earned. It is something you decide. It comes because you decide it is there and with you while you ride the train without trying to drive it, get off of it, or control its destination. Enjoy the ride. Wow, there was a couple of things that really stood out to me in what she said. First of all, this idea of this unexpected train, this unexpected, it's kind of like what I just talked about, like our expectations are one direction and something totally different has happened. And I also loved the way she said that she had learned to be grateful and find happiness and that it's, happiness is not something we earn or something that is given to us. It is something we decide on. I will say that deciding on happiness does not feel right early in grief. In fact, it feels totally wrong. It does not, that's not where our focus is. And I don't think it should be like, I think our brain is just trying to come to terms with the new train that we're on. But there is a time months down the road, maybe even years down the road when we can make that decision that happiness is with us. So I wanted to talk about triggers. Triggers are feelings of distress and overwhelm. They, they kind of come along with loss, especially a traumatic loss. And it's common. 
it's common for people to continue to have these thoughts and these images and, and all this distress after something horrible has happened. This is common and it's a sign. It's a sign that our body is recovering. It's a signal that our mind is reliving the past and our body can't make the distinction between the then and the now. So for me, after the accident, I really suffered with PTSD and ended up with ther- in therapy for two and a half years, dealing with my PTSD, doing EMDR. And it really it was all about retraining my brain to accept the present so that I could drive without being completely triggered. I, I didn't drive for several weeks. I don't even remember. I, I, I do remember actually having to go to a doctor's appointment and there was nobody that could drive me and I had to drive myself. And I, it was a physical therapy appointment. I'd broken my wrist. I'd had, had some shoulder issues from the accident and I was having trouble driving this car anyway. It was a stick shift and I was just mad. <laughs> like I was so mad all the way to this appointment that I was having to drive myself that that was just not fair. And I, I, I struggled like there were months and years before I could drive with anybody else in the car with me. I could have maybe my husband with me or maybe one of my kids with me, but I just, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard to get behind the wheel and drive with people in the car. And I had all this anxiety and I would almost, I would feel like I was just kind of almost blacking out, but not totally. I mean, I was most of the time, I I hope I was safe, but it was, it was a tricky, tricky time. And it is this whole thing where your, your brain is convinced that you're still in that distress. You're still in right in the middle of this accident. And that's kind of what happened to me anyway, but it's just, it's normal to feel this way. I saw some statistics. Let me see if I can find them real quick about the PTSD, which is kind of a common thing that we hear about now. There were some interesting numbers. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Okay. This is an article from thiswayup.org. It says PTSD usually develops within six months of a traumatic event. About half of all adults report experiencing PTSD if they've had an event that could trigger something like that, um, they about half of adults report experiencing it during their lives, but only 10% will develop PTSD as a result. So about half of adults will experience an event that could develop into PTSD and about 10% will actually develop it. And then it says with 3.7% of the population being diagnosed with PTSD in a given year. So, the median age at onset is 22 years. Those are just some statistics. If that's something that interests you, I, I kind of like statistics. So I thought I would share that with you about PTSD. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about triggers today is a lot of times when I talk to people, you know, locally about our support group or about an event. And, and I, I imagine that a lot, some of the people that are listening to this might experience this or think this, a lot of times what people will say to me is their friend or they 
don't want to come to an event or don't want to participate in a sport group because they don't want to be triggered. And my feeling is that we're being triggered because of our thoughts, because of what we're thinking about the event. And until we face it, until we actually look at the loss and we start to discover those things that we wish were better, more, or different, we're always going to be triggered. And if if we're thinking, I don't want to be a part of this because I'll be triggered, maybe that's the exact reason why we should be part of it. I know that's very blunt, but the reality is we're always going to be triggered unless we deal with it, unless we take a look at it, unless we look at the circumstances, unless we're willing to really look at it and change our thoughts around what's happened. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not an easy fix, but it's doable. And it's something that's available to us. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about triggers, because I think we think that triggers are outside of our control, because it certainly feels that way. And in many ways, it is outside of our control until we decide that we're going to change, that we're going to change, that we're going to take a look at it, and we're going to face that monster. We're going to face the monster in the closet and we're going to stare him down and we're going to find out he's not nearly as scary as we think he is. See, a trigger is simply just a thought, an emotion that's laying dormant in us. It's dormant in us. It's like a volcano. It's dormant in us until something happens. And that's what the trigger is, right? Something happens and it triggers the volcano it triggers that emotion to come to the surface, which means it's there. So when we, when we go through grief recovery or we go through a program like this, we can think it's the program that's causing it, but truly it's what's within us that's, that's coming to the surface, which is a good thing. When it comes to the surface, we can address it. We can look at it. We can do something with it because really, truly our emotions are a signal to what's happening within us to it's a signal to what are what we're thinking it's a signal to what we need to work on or what we need to examine it really is just a signal that's all it is and we're capable of feeling any emotion that we need to feel it doesn't feel like that but really if you think about it what is an emotion it's just a vibration in our body it's just we're just experiencing emotion nothing Nothing truly harmful is happening to us when we feel an emotion. I know it doesn't feel that way, but truly nothing has gone wrong when we feel an emotion. It's just an opportunity for us to look at it and go, is this an emotion that is valid? And this is how I want to feel. And this is, or is this something that like I need to take a look at and see where I'm at and how I can address it. But here's some things that we can do. First of all, I will say that everything happens in our thoughts. And that's why I really like meditation. Um, Because meditation is a way to train the mind to be present. And so when we can work on our conscious mind, and we can reprogram that with thoughts, and we can reprogram that with meditation, it ultimately starts to reprogram our subconscious um, finding people to talk to, um, being patient with yourself. Again, remembering that it's normal. It's normal to feel 
out of control. It's normal to feel distress. It's normal to feel overwhelmed while our mind is adjusting to the reality of our situation. Invest in tools and information, whether that's with a therapist or the grief recovery program that, that I do. Investing in tools is super important because information and tools will really, really help us. Remembering that it's not something that we're going to get over overnight. So again, being accepting, being patient, uh, practicing self-care, things that we do to take care of ourselves, recognizing, like we've talked about before, that when we're experiencing grief, and especially if we're experiencing trauma and triggers, that it's super important that we we be patient with ourselves, that we take care of ourselves, that we create the space in our life to work through what we're currently working through. It's important for us to confront the loss. And that's one of the things that I love about the grief recovery method is it really is a program for step-by-step looking at our losses, determining what we wish were better, more, or different so that we can deal with it and finding ways to relax. This is another important piece is finding ways to relax without alcohol or drugs. It is commonly known that if we use alcohol or drugs to relax, especially when we've experienced something like this, that it can have really negative results. But again, everything starts with our thoughts. And I just kind of wanted to share with you some of my initial thoughts and how those thoughts how I kind of moved through thoughts. So initially, like right after the trauma, right after the the heartache, my initial thoughts were, this is horrible. I can't live like this. The pain is more than I can bear. I'll never be able to drive a car again, which was separate from those other things. But just the pain was just more than I could bear. There's no way I can get through this. This was my initial. And I can't tell you how many weeks, how many days, And again, it's kind of like that whole idea that I was talking about earlier, where it's not linear necessarily. We we kind of go along, and we might see that we're progressing, and then we hit an obstacle, and and we feel less progression, and we maybe even feel like we're going backwards, and then we you know we pick up our tools again. But I always think that remembering that how we feel today is not necessarily how we're going to feel next month. It's not necessarily how we're going to feel a year from now. Like, thank goodness. I can't imagine living my life out the way that I felt in the first six months after my kids died. I mean, I was a mess. I was a complete and utter mess. I was a heap on the floor. I was a lump in the bed. I was a crying, sobbing mess. And I share that with you because that was just the reality of my situation. And that is not where I'm at now. And so it's always important to remember that how we feel today is not necessarily how we're going to feel later. Gradually. So, you know, those were my initial thoughts. This is horrible. I can't live with this. The pain is too much. I can't bear it. But gradually, as I did the work, as I did the work in therapy, as I did the work through self care, as I worked on changing my thoughts, my thoughts went to things like, I'll find a way to survive. I've been through horrible things before and things got better. Maybe this can too. Maybe I can be a whole person again. Maybe I can feel happy again. 
so you can see I kind of transitioned from this is this is horrible, this is horrific, this there's no way that it can get better to maybe it can get better. I think I started to see that light, that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. I think I started to see that glimpse. And as I've shared with you before, I'd gone through some horrible things before this happened. And, and I, I could remember how bad that was and how I got better, but this was different. This was harder. I did have those initial feelings of I'm not coming back from this, but I was able to eventually practice those thoughts of I'll find a way to survive. Maybe I can be a whole person again. Maybe I can feel happy again. And eventually, those thoughts went to, I can be happy again. I am happy. I am excited about life again. I love my kids and I will hold on to that instead of the pain of loss. I love my kids and I will hold on to that instead of the pain of loss. So we're talking about triggers and I want to talk about post-traumatic growth. So we, a lot of times we hear about post-traumatic stress disorder, but we really do need to balance that with post-traumatic growth. And I think even because I've experienced it, even if you've had PTSD, I've had PTSD, I still experienced post-traumatic growth. And I I looked this up on Wikipedia, so I'm just going to read what it says there about post-traumatic growth. There's a lot more, but this is just a couple of lines. Post-traumatic growth refers to positive personality change following traumatic life events. Experiencing a traumatic event can have a transformational role in personality among certain individuals and facilitate growth. For example, individuals who have experienced trauma have been shown to exhibit greater optimism, positive effect, and satisfaction with social support, as well as increases in the number of social supportive resources. Let's hold on to that. Seriously, let's look at that. Individuals who have experienced trauma have been shown to exhibit greater optimism. Okay, so now you may be thinking, I do not feel greater optimism, and all this is doing is making me feel worse. I get it. I felt that way. Just know that this is a possibility. It's one of those maybes that I was talking about. Maybe I can be a whole person again. Maybe I can feel happy again. When we have those maybes, when we have those glimmers of hope, we can hold on to the maybes. We can hold on to the hope that that might, that might be in our future. I believe, I believe we can all experience post-traumatic growth when we take the steps, when we go through the thought work, when we go through the, the recovery steps, we can experience post-traumatic growth. A couple of weeks ago, I compared grieving to running a marathon. After the marathon and after the recovery, the runner is stronger. Stronger because she used her muscles to stretch herself and her body responded. I think our spirit can also respond to the stress of loss and become stronger and resilient. I really do believe that. I have felt my capacity for happiness has expanded. It's expanded beyond what I experienced before the kids died. And I know that sounds crazy, but 
I, I just wouldn't be truthful with you if I didn't, if I didn't tell you that. Like that is truly what I've experienced. Thanks for being here on this episode today. If you live in the Salt Lake area, I want to tell you that I'm having an event. It's on Thursday, April 18th at seven o'clock at the Sandy Health and Rehab Center. It's the nursing home on State Street and 50th um, East. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's in Sandy. And you can register for that event. Find out more about it at buildalifeafterloss.com slash six grief myths. That's six as in the number six grief myths. Also, if you're not in the Salt Lake area and you can't come to that event, I totally understand, but I would have you go to buildalifeafterloss.com and download the three simple practices that I have there that can help you start feeling better now. That will get you started. But please remember, please remember, I believe in you. I believe in your recovery. I believe in your post-traumatic growth. Have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you next week. Music